Welcome to Forging Plowshares, a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom of God. We hope this part of our ongoing conversation stimulates your mind and challenges your heart about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Please stay tuned at the end of the podcast for a short message about our ministry. I have a kind of unusual title here, but I think it's true to the scripture. That is, God is Father through the Son, or God's omnipotence is extended through the Son. And I think that's what's being taught in Philippians 2, 9 to 11. Let's read there. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So how does God exercise his reign and establish his authority? Well, clearly it's through Christ. Because at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and earth and things under the earth. God's glory, it says, his authority, his reign, are established through Jesus Christ. This was the teaching of the early church. Origin of Alexandria explains, it is through the Son that the Father is almighty. And this position of the Father is extended through the Son into all creation. For through the wisdom which is Christ, God has power over all things. Through the Logos, through the Word, God exercises His power. Not only the power of an authority or a ruler in the human sense, but also by voluntary obedience of subjects. That is that all people will confess. And so He exercises His power over the world through people by means of His Word. And that's what it's saying, because at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. And if that's the case, then without doubt, it's Jesus to whom all things are subject. And it is he who exercises power over all things. And through whom all things are subjected or made subject to the Father. So it's through the wisdom that is Christ, through the logos, through the word, through the reason, not by force and necessity, that all are made subject. I think this is Paul's working principle. This is the principle of origin, the early church. I think this is the working principle of the gospel. Namely, that God's almighty rule, his work of creation, is grounded in the relation between the Father and Son which is the means of understanding God's relation to creation. It's a central idea. I think it's a gospel idea that God's relation to the Son, that's how we understand his relation to creation. Unfortunately, what I'm saying to you, in origin at least, will be condemned by the Fifth Ecumenical Council. They will anathematize origin 
and they will level 15 anathemas against him. And the question is if this attack on origin, if in fact in this the gospel itself is obscured to us. The fact that the premier genius among the church fathers, the one who, you know, he's working out, he's responsible for articulating the theological world, the one that explains, okay, if the gospel is true, here is what must be the case. He writes, they say, some 6,000 books. I don't know if that's true, but he wrote a lot. He was highly influential. And so the one who explains what must be the case, given the gospel, not to say that he's inerrant or absolutely true, but I think on this point he's true, he's right, he's just repeating Paul. And I think that this point of the gospel is obscured. It's been lost to us, maybe for two millennia. And I think the problems which plague the church up to the present time, you know, we have kind of a duality between body and soul, between heaven and earth, the dualities that between the Father and the Son, the doctrines of Calvinist predestination. You know, we talked about double predestination. The idea of a limited atonement, the idea of penal substitution. But maybe just at a most basic level, we have a kind of warped conception of God which now predominates because we've lost this understanding of Paul passed on through origin. And I think the problem can be summed up as the metaphysical problems of God and creation that actually Paul is addressing, that origin is addressing. That there's a kind of metaphysical incoherence. I think it can be traced to the rejection of this description, of, of this doctrine, that if it had been preserved rather than condemned, I think that we would be in a very different place. That is that Christianity, if we compare Christianity to other sects, cults, beliefs, various religions in the same time and place, that with origin, you know, with the early church, there is a success in organizing it, organizing its tenets, its understanding into a coherent system. And I think this is largely to be credited to origin. And so neglect of the coherence provided, in fact the condemnation, I think has resulted in a kind of confusion. And so origin is continuing in the spirit of Paul, in the spirit of Irenaeus, of Ignatius, in talking about the rule of faith inclusive of the basic principles. You know, what can we extrapolate? What must we believe to be the case given the truth of the gospel? Like Aristotle, he says, okay, well, we have to have some first principles. We have to have a basis upon which we build so as to gain wisdom. You know, if we don't have a first principle, then there's a kind of infinite regress. But what is origin's first principle? What is Paul's first, first principle? What is the first principle of the New Testament? It's Jesus Christ. It's the understanding that the gospel is the first principle. And this, of course, is a departure, I think not just from a Greek understanding, but maybe just from a typical understanding. 
like John in the opening of his gospel, he's also talking about the logos. You know, the word logos can be reason, but of course it's referring to Christ. Christ is our reason. For the law, this is in John 1.17, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth were realized through Christ Jesus. What is the truth? The logos of Christ. John and Paul and Origen, they're setting up a different logic, a different truth. And I think it is this logic that we've just described from Philippians. What is the relation between the Father and the Son? How do we understand that relation? Because that's an all-inclusive relation. And so Origen writes a book called, well, on first principles. What's his first principle? He says, all who believed and are assured that grace and truth, it sounds like John, came through Christ Jesus and who know Christ to be the truth, according to his saying, I am the truth, they derive knowledge which leads human beings to live a good life and a blessed life. And they need no other source than the teachings of Christ. And so Origen notes specifically, he's not doing Greek philosophy. His is not a typical human understanding. He says, for just as although many Greeks and barbarians promised the truth, we gave up seeking it from all who claimed it for false opinions after we had come to believe that Christ was the Son of God. We have a different logic. We have a different reason in our understanding of who God is, what the world is, in and through the gospel. And so the examination, the field of examination for the Christian, for Origen, for Paul, is not the Greek notion of logos, not the Greek notion of reason, but the field of examination is Jesus Christ. This is origin. He says, in the first place, we must know that in Christ, the nature of his divinity, as he is the only begotten Son of God, is one thing, and another is the human nature, which in the last times he took on account of the economy. We know who God is. We know what we are to be as human beings through the God-man. And so the gospel as first principle requires that we, and this is what he does in on first principles. He just goes back and looks at the titles of the son in relation to the father. Here's his conclusion. As no one can be a father without having a son, nor a master without possessing a servant, so even God cannot be called omnipotent unless there exist those over whom he may exercise his power. And therefore, that God may be shown to be almighty, it is necessary that all things should exist. And so Origen, I believe, is working in a gospel frame set by Paul. We could call it a Christological frame. He's setting forth an alternative worldview, a Christ-centered logic, a Christian metaphysic. The problem is that I think very few have been up to the task of understanding Paul or of understanding origin. And so, you know, historically, his translators, his readers, his enemies, 
And ultimately, the church is going to misunderstand Origen. But I'm afraid in condemning Origen, they've misunderstood Paul. Maybe there's a variety of reasons. You know, even in the lifetime of Origen, they're starting to change up. He finds manuscripts he's written, and he said, I didn't write this, somebody's changed it. But there's this simplistic understanding about him that is often applied to Christianity that says, oh, this is just a Platonist understanding. Or this is just a Greek understanding. Or this is just a, another human understanding. And I think in agreeing to this, in acquiescing to this, we're misunderstanding that the gospel is a peculiar world, a peculiar logic. And this is often, you know, this is the, the charge that is leveled against Christianity. Oh, it's just more Platonism. And so in the 15 anathemas leveled at origin at the fifth ecumenical council, you know, holding that he taught that the pre-existence of souls, you know, think of our lesson today, that God predetermined, you know, God predestined what would happen to David. That doesn't mean that David was pre-existent or the existence they accused him of believing in disembodied souls. Or that he denigrated material bodies. But I think what is demonstrated is an incapacity to comprehend his argument and maybe the argument of Paul. He's describing the world that must be the case given the truth of the gospel. And to the degree that he was correct, I'm afraid that the church has subjected itself to error. John, the apostle, is not a Platonist. Paul is not a Platonist. Origen is not a Platonist. I think they're anti-Platonists. And in saying that, I think they stand over and against typical human thought. Origen says this. Uh, he singles out Platonic views and he juxtaposes his own understanding. I think John is doing the same thing. He uses a good Greek philosophical term, the logos. But does that mean that John agrees with the Greek philosophical understanding? No, he's saying Jesus is the Logos. And the Greeks have it wrong. Actually, we could point out the same thing. In the Old Testament, they use the Aramaic equivalent of the Greek philosophical term. And they use it for the name of God. But in taking up this name and applying it to Christ... This stands over and against a Greek understanding. It actually stands over and against a Jewish understanding. Because what does it say about the Logos? He became flesh. He became a human being. He entered into history. This is an impossibility. In a Greek worldview, in an Aramaic, in a, in a Hebrew, I think it just goes over and against human reason. And so on the issue of history, of eschatology, Origen knows that what he's describing has nothing to do with pagan philosophy. And what is the difference? You know, what we need to find out what is the difference in Christian thought from the typical human understanding. First of all, there is no dualism. There is no separation between God and man because God has become man in Christ. There is no chasm between spirit and flesh because that which is spiritual has taken on the flesh. 
And God is extending his reign in the flesh through the word. This man, Christ, is the way that John begins his gospel. And so I think Origen, like John, like Paul, he's rejecting Platonism and very specifically in regard to the body. He espoused a notion held in derision by many Platonists that is a Hebraic understanding. That is that how do you get saved? How do you survive death? Only through the resurrection of the body. According to Platonists, the body, material things, oh, this is made up of lower elements. And of course, some of that has creeped into Christianity so that we too sometimes denigrate the body. For the Greeks, the body, you know, is a source of passion, of meanness, of decay, uh, of degeneration. And so how do you cure that? Well, in Platonism, you get rid of the body. That's true in Hinduism, Buddhism, but that's not true in Christianity. We believe in resurrection. And so rejecting the notion of the soul surviving without a body is key in the New Testament. Origen denied the idea of people's souls raising apart from their body. He defended resurrection in a body. Now maybe this is a body of a different quality. We don't know, you know. Well, what that might be, what that might look like. But the point is, like John and Paul, he made resurrection the central theme of his thought. And indeed of all his Christian doctrine. Like Paul, he says, if there is no resurrection, well then there is no Christian faith. And all biblical history is void of any meaning. Paul says we are most to be pitied if there is no resurrection from the dead. And so no one after Paul so strenuously emphasized the cross and the resurrection as the pivotal point of history. You know, another thing, the Greek focus is upon unchangingness, upon stasis, on a kind of the forms or that unchanging order. What is the Christian focus? Oh, it's upon Christ coming into history. On time, in the beginning, was the word. You know, this is this characteristic. This is there in the pre-Socratic religious understanding. They're concerned with stability, with how do you reconcile this world that is changing with uh, uh, some unchanging order. But with Christianity, the problem of the world in time History is resolved in John 1.10. He was in the world and the world was made through him. And the world did not know him. He came to his own and those who were his own did not receive him. They did not recognize him. But as many as received him to them he gave the right to become children of God. So here is the purpose of history. Here is the purpose of creation. And pagan schools of thought mostly did not seek for a purpose. You know, Plato did reflect on the ultimate goal of earth and life. Aristotle did research on the teleological causal sequence to which life was to be formed. The Stoics, as well as Cicero, did visualize a world state based on reason as a goal which the human race ought to fill out. 
But what is entirely new in Christianity is the question of an overall meaning of human history. A purpose originated in the dispensation of God manifested within the world since its creation. That's what John's describing. That's what Paul is describing. And Origen extended this understanding and I think he formed a distinctly Christian philosophy of history that I think is faithful to John and Paul. And I'm using Origen because of course the early church couldn't condemn Paul's thought. They couldn't condemn John's thought. But I believe in or condemning Origen they're doing the equivalent. Origen is spelling out a unique Christian logic. It's not Greek. It's not Gnostic. It's Christian. And among the key issues undergirding Origen's work, and I think that which is most maligned, is his concept of God's relationship between uh, eternity and time. But this is what Paul and John are building on. Listen to Colossians 1, 18 to 20. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning. How do, you know, where do things begin? Well, all things are beginning in Christ. He is the firstborn from the dead. So that he himself will give, come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness of deity to dwell in him. God, who is timeless, has come into time. God who is unseen is now seen. God who is incomprehensible can now be comprehended in Christ. And through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of the cross. Whether things in heaven or things on earth. And so it's through the Son that the Father's fullness is expressed and given. So Origen's principle, Paul's principle, is the gospel. And we understand the gospel as a relation between the Father and the Son that extends to all creation through which we understand the relation of time and eternity. God the Father is in eternity. But we are not removed from God's eternality because the Son has come into time. He is the Alpha and Omega. He embraces all of time and is the eternity of God brought into time. That is, we really have access to God. That's the simple point here. We really know who God is in Christ. Jesus is not a phantasm. He's not a, an avatar. He's not, you know, some kind of Gnostic appearance. No, this is who God is. There is a singular beginning, a singular time, and this is known in and through the Son. The Father is unchanging. He's immovable. But the Son suffers and dwells in time. So that what is impassable is made to suffer. And so just as with John and Paul, Origen's examination of the divine titles of Christ treats that relationship we have to understand who God is in Christ through the Incarnation. We cannot talk about God apart from Christ, apart from the Incarnation. And so the danger is, and we've done this, this is what, you know, if you go and study in seminary, this sounds so bizarre, 
But when people read John, they say, oh, well, what John is talking about there is something like the Greek logos. No, what John is talking about is the gospel. Jesus, the logos, is the gospel, is God incarnate in Christ. The incarnate relationship. You know, if we make it a disincarnate, well, we sneak in a Greek or another metaphysic. But the idea is that the relation between the Father and the Son in the incarnation, that is the divine reality. Let me say this in a different way. The existence of Jesus is not an episode, just one episode in the biography of the Word. God has no story but that of Jesus of Nazareth and the covenant of which he is the seal. You want to know who God is? Look to Christ. To speak of the pre-existent or the pre-incarnate Christ is to imply that God has a life story, a divine story, other than the story of the incarnation. It's to suppose that in some sense there was a son of God existing from the eternal ages who at some point in his eternal career assumed a human nature and was made man. That's not the gospel. The gospel was in the beginning was the word and that word is the incarnate Christ. And so I think this misunderstanding is the problem along with it that entails the problem of modern theology, modern Christianity, modern metaphysics. And I think Origen's principle resolves this. How do you know who God is? The answer is very simple. Between the relation of the Father and the Son. That's what Paul is saying. We start from nowhere else other than Jesus Christ. There is no other way to life and light and God. Let me go back to Philippians. Have this attitude in yourselves, in verse 5, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also, God highly exalted him, he extended his power. He extended his almightiness. He extended his omnipotence. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Here is God's rule and reign. Here is God's personhood. Here is the Trinity. Here is our understanding of who God is. Things in heaven and on earth and under the earth every tongue will confess that Christ is, Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father. Where do we see the glory of the Father? In the Son. That's the story of the Gospel. There is nowhere else to look. God's reign and rule is being extended into the world then. As we have this attitude among ourselves that we find in Christ Jesus that we are extending then the reign and rule of God in the world. Forging Plowshares is a community dedicated to cultivating the peaceful kingdom by providing in-depth, transformative biblical and theological education and discipleship. 
If you have found this podcast valuable, please remember to share on social media. If you have questions about what you've heard, or if you'd like to learn more about how you can get involved with Forging Plowshares or even support this ministry financially, please visit our website, forgingplowshares.org.